everyone to this special audio blog from Jerusalem, Israel. This is Keith Johnson with Biblical Foundations Academy International. Our special audio blog, which I thought, to be honest with you, was going to be the last one for a while last week. But something's happened this week that I just have to do this audio blog. Unfortunately, normally I'm with the key maker. He's my producer and we normally sync up. But unfortunately, I have run into a technology hassle. My internet uh, abilities, the ability to download things, it's just its just entirely too slow. There's a delay in as far as me speaking and him hearing, and I had gotten so frustrated last week, I thought, that's it, no more audio blogs until I get back to the United States. Well, of course, my plans are not always the plans of the Creator. I believe that He's given me a special opportunity to come and talk to you uh, today regarding something that's happened here in the land of Israel regarding the Temple Mount. Now, let me just tell you, I love these audio blogs because I'm unplugged, unedited, uncontrolled. Nobody tells me what I have to say, when to say it, except normally the key maker reminds me about things and he sends me notes and it's an awesome opportunity working with him. But this time I'm going to have to go solo. I've had something happen here that's just had a question in my mind that has to be answered. And the question that I've been asking is who may ascend. Now, if you don't know where that verse comes from, it's from Psalm 24. I'm going to get to that later, but let me give you just a little background of what's happened here that's caused me to do this special BFA audio blog on the question, who may ascend? Uh, I've been here doing uh, a number of different things, uh, working on a project that uh, I'm very excited about that's going to be uh, coming out hopefully before the seventh month uh, this year, by God's grace and uh, his provision, it'll be awesome. But I've been doing a lot of work on that. A number of other things have also come up. One of them has to do with this question. So let me again, give me just a little bit of background. I was on the Temple Mount this week on Monday with a couple friends who are not afraid uh, to ascend. And so we went up there and I love to go up there. My In fact, let me just back up. The first time I ever went up on the Temple Mount was 1988, I believe it was, on my first tour uh, to Israel, I did all of the things that you're supposed to do, went to all the sites you're supposed to go to. And back then, you could go up on the Temple Mount and actually go inside what they call today the Dome of the Rock. And it was an amazing experience for me way back then because I went in and saw this massive, massive stone that's under uh, the Golden Dome uh, now. And, and like I said, back then you could go in. Now they've actually made that into a mosque primarily for women. Uh, the men basically go to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is not far from the Golden Dome. Both of them are, of course, up on the Temple Mount. And so I was up there in 1988, and I was just mesmerized by the size of the stone. I didn't know much about it, didn't understand the background about it, didn't do much study about it. Then in 2002, of course, I've talked so much about it, my life changed. I came to the land of Israel on what I believe to be an invitation from heaven, from the Heavenly Father, uh, to come and meet with him on his appointment. I talk a lot about that. And since coming back in 2002, I've really been uh, captivated by by this whole issue of the Temple Mount. Wasn't sure, again, about all the politics of it. Just thought that it was something that obviously was important. Uh, on this trip, something has happened that has really caught my attention. And that is that while I was at Hebrew University doing an intensive language uh, study, I began to do some further research on uh, our uh, series, Right on Time, which has to do with the seventh month. Now, without going into great detail, because that's not what this is going to be about, 
I began to do some study uh, regarding really on what I call the importance of the Temple Mount and what the issues are surrounding it, especially presently today with the uh, present um, situation there, the tensions that are taking place, etc. This week, uh, I uh, brought a couple friends up there. I like to bring people to the Temple Mount. I think it's an amazing experience. I think it's a powerful experience. Unfortunately, you, uh, as you're waiting to go up to the Temple Mount, there's a sign that uh, basically lets you know that according to the chief rabbinite of Israel, it is forbidden for you to go to this holy place. Now, I have not felt uh, convicted by their uh, rule. In fact, I, I think, uh, to be honest, as I've studied um, that, that actually there's a, a completely different understanding of what it means to ascend to the Temple Mount. So I've had a number of people, Jew and Gentile, that will not go up there for their own personal reasons, which I understand. But for me, I've been on this journey that has really caused me to, uh, to have to do a, a reevaluation of my position. Well, this week, I was up there on Monday, and as I was preparing to go up, there were about two or three, I think it was three young teenage uh, Jewish young men who cut in the front of the line, because if, if you've ever been on the Temple Mount, you have to get there pretty early. You wait in line until they finally give the okay, and then you open it up, and you're up there for two or three hours, and then they shut it down again. And if something happens up there, they'll shut it down at any moment's notice. Uh, the, the, the Muslim waqf, the people that are in charge, quote-unquote, of the Temple Mount, uh, they'll they'll communicate that, uh, you know, there's tensions or the Israeli and the IDF will say there's tensions and then they'll just shut it down. So sometimes you might wait in line and not get in at all. So when these three young men jumped in the front of the line, you know, my first thought was, who do they think they are? I mean, what have we been waiting here? And come to find out that they were on a special mission to the Temple Mount. Now, if you know anything about uh, Jews presently going up to the Temple Mount, there's really quite a bit of tension. Uh, what happened on Monday was I was up there on a completely different uh, mission with my two friends. Uh, we were there doing our work. As we completed our work, we actually were leaving the Temple Mount, and I was so happy for my friend Margaret. She said she needed to find a bathroom. And normally, if you leave, you can't get back. But I asked uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the security guard there, the policeman there, if he would allow us to go back up on the Temple Mount because we needed to find a bathroom. And as we were going back up, there was a group trying to get up through that particular gate. And he said, no way, you can't do it. But for us, favor. We turn around, we go back up on the Temple Mount. And as uh, we're coming out of the area where the, where the bathrooms are, I see a, a, a bunch of uh, police officers, um, three or four, surrounding a group what seemed to be, obviously, they had kippahs on and tzitzit. Uh, this was a group of Jewish uh, people that were on the Temple Mount. And again, if you know anything about that, it, there tends to be quite a bit of tension when Jews uh, choose to ascend the Temple Mount. The Muslims up there get quite uh, nervous about it. And of course, in that situation, there's a lot of um, tensions and and, and, and close uh, looking at them because it's illegal for them when they go up on the Temple Mount to do anything, quote unquote, religious. No reading Tanakhs, no reading Bibles, no praying, no sounding of shofars, nothing that would be an outward expression of their devotion to the one whom they believe's presence still dwells on the Temple Mount. So if it ever does happen, there really ends up being quite a stir. Well, I saw this group, and I took my trusty little video camera. You know, that's the one-man, one-camera thing. I took my little trusty camera. I open it up, and I'm getting closer and closer, and I notice that this group of people that are standing there, I noticed that one of the men that was there that was talking, that was teaching, looked very familiar to me. 
I tried to get close enough. They were surrounded by police officers and the Muslim wakhla there to watch to make sure they don't do anything. Then, as I'm panning in, I noticed something really remarkable. As he's speaking, by the way, the three young teenage boys were there amongst about four or five other people. So there's about seven to ten Jewish people up on the Temple Mount. And there was this man teaching. And as he's teaching, he's teaching with great passion. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, I think I know who that man is. Sure enough, after I get through taping, we leave the Temple Mount. I get back home. I do some research. And sure enough, there's this guy. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to speak to him. I got to talk to him. What gives him the chutzpah to go up on the Temple Mount surrounded by people that ain't happy that he's there and teach young Jewish people and other people with their kippahs and their tzitzit, but with no shoes on? What kind of, who is this man that would do such a thing? And so what I did was I went over to the Temple Institute with my two friends, uh, Rich and Margaret, and we asked the question, uh, specifically, I wanted to talk to this man. Did they know who it was? And she said, yes, I know his name. I know who you're talking about. In fact, he's got some people up on the Temple Mount right now. Here's his cell phone number. Why did she do that? I called him. I said, I've got to speak to you. I need you to speak to the BFA audio blog audience to let them know what gives you the right to think you can break the rules of the present uh, religious power brokers and the present government's uh, rules and re- what makes you think you can go and ascend this holy hill? Well, folks, uh, I got a hold of him. I sat him down. I told him about you. I told him there were people that would be interested in understanding just who he is, what makes him think he can do this. And if he would be willing to share with us right now the BFA exclusive audio blog interview in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount, I have my friend here. I'm going to let him introduce himself. And after he gets done, I'll tell you just what I think. Okay, my name is Yehuda Glick. I'm presently the director of an organization which is called the Liba. Liba is heart in, the tem- in Hebrew. It's also an acronym of uh, the Organization for Jewish Freedom on the Temple Mount. Lechofesh Yehudi Behar Habayit. Initiative for Jewish Freedom on the Temple Mount. So that's, uh, that's the organization I work with now, but I'm, I, I, I'm very much involved in the Temple Mount Heritage Foundation and, in, and actually all the uh, coalition of all the uh, Temple Mount organizations. Um, I was born 48 years ago. I am now happily the father of eight children and four grandchildren. A fourth one born uh, exactly uh, a week and a half ago. And uh, I came to Israel in 1974, exactly 40 years ago, July, uh, with my parents from Brooklyn, New York. My father was there, the director of medicine in uh, Coney Island Hospital, and my mother was an English teacher. And we were invited to Beersheba because they were establishing a new medical school in Beersheba. And uh, my father was of the establishment of the new, new medical center, new uh, medical, uh, medical school in Beersheba. And he's been there ever since, bringing uh, when the Negev was pretty much pretty dry and pretty empty, and now it's flourishing. Uh, and uh, so he, I would say, since Ben Gurion, he's like probably one of the biggest patriots of the Negev. 
my mother has been teaching English, and today they're both uh, in their 82nd year of their life. And my father, he's quite healthy, Baruch Hashem, thank God. He's, he bought himself for an 80th birthday a new bicycle. And uh, my mother and father have, uh, are raising their uh, almost 50 grandchildren and almost 70 great-grandchildren. And uh, so that's the family I come from. I'm married to the most wonderful wife in the world. Her name is Yafi. As I said, when, when we got married, she was a, she was a, a widow. Her first husband uh, passed away from uh, cancer. We remarried. We had four children together. Then we adopted another two girls. So now we have eight. And our three oldest are all married, and, uh, and uh, they have four grandchildren. Um, I went to school in Israel, and then in the, in, I went to, to yeshiva in various different yeshiva. Then I studied a bachelor in Jewish education. I took a master's in uh, Jewish history, and uh, my major uh, parts of, of, the, of my research were around the, the, the history of the temple. Uh, and then I uh, became, actually, I was in, in, in involved in, in, in the, the immigration process, the absorption process, and I'll, I'll explain. In my eyes, since the history of mankind, there's never been a magnificent phenomena of a nation coming back home to their homeland. Not after 2,000 years, after 50 years. There's no such thing as a nation who leave their homeland and come back. It doesn't exist. You leave your homeland, you, you, you don't exist anymore. And here we see one nation, after 2,000 years, comes back to their homeland and reestablishes the original state with the same name, Israel, Israel. And they reestablish the name language, the Hebrew. And they reestablish their culture. On the one hand, very modern, very developed, very, uh, I would say, very uh, uh, front in front of the world. And at the same time, preserving uh, the book. It's the only place in the world where you can walk in the footsteps of the book, and you can open the book and you say, David, yeah, King David, he was in En Gedi, yeah, this is En Gedi. He was in Jerusalem, yeah, this is Jerusalem. And Abraham, King David, King Solomon, well, you, the whole, any, any page you open in the book, it's, it's right in front of you here. And, and, and that's the, the, the unbelievable story. But I think that if I said that was the most magnificent thing that happened in the history of mankind, is that a people come back to their homeland after 2,000 years, I think there's one thing that's even more great than that. And that is the fact that this process is described word by word in the book. It says, no matter where you are throughout the world, we, I will bring you back to the homeland, to, to Israel. Now, that's something that you, I would say, for a person to be an atheist, you need a lot of a big high level of, 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 of faith. Because how can you, how can, how can you ignore the, 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 this, this, it's like in front of your eyes. Uh, so I, I became involved, very much involved at the time in the uh, absorption of, of immigrants to Israel. I, I then became the spokesman of the Ministry of Immigrant Absorption. I was very much involved in bringing uh, Jews from Russia, from the former Soviet Union. I like you saying the word former Soviet Union. Former sounds good to me. Former Soviet Union. And uh, then, I was, then I was involved in the uh, immigration from Ethiopia. And I really felt this is part of a, of a godly phenomenon. 25 years ago, in 1989, 
I, as a yeshiva student, I, I, was, I was educated the same way like everybody else, that it's forbidden to go onto the Temple Mount. And then I, I bumped into this elderly man who was telling him, you know, it's not true. You, if you're not forbidden, you're obligated to go on the Temple Mount. And he started teaching me the sources. And it sounded interesting to me. And when I go to my rabbis and I say, listen, you know, everybody's saying it's, it's forbidden. But look at that. We, we open the book and, and specifically says it, it's, it's an obligation to go to the Temple Mount. It's the only place in the world where a Jew is obligated to go. So they said to me, yeah, you're right. So I said, so why don't we go? He said, I don't know. So I said, oh, nobody knows. And I'm going to start going. So I joined. There were, we were like a, at, the same, at the time, there were like maybe a handful, maybe a dozen of Jews who would go up to the Temple Mount. It was a very rare. It was very far-fetched. It was like people who were really off the wall. Uh, but since then, today, we have we're a situation where we have... Um, in, 19, in 2003, uh, over 20,000 Jews went onto the Temple Mount, and uh, the numbers are growing, and we see more and more people are, are becoming interested. This, this week, for the first time in the history of Israel, the Knesset had a special session, all speaking about the Temple Mount, all speaking about the Temple Mount, and, and, and all the members of Knesset spoke. And the Arabs were warning, listen, if you keep that session, the whole Middle East is going to go in flames. There's going to be a third world war. Today is Thursday, Tuesday, Tuesday. The first time the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, sits and has a session about the, the uh, sovereignty of the Israel on the Temple Mount. And... Uh, uh, the, uh, we, we were very much involved, and, and, and now going onto the Temple Mount became part of the mainstream of the Israeli society. Where 25 years ago, we were, we were, we were nothing. Today, it's the mainstream of the Israeli society demands Jews should be allowed to pray on the Temple Mount, Jews should be allowed to go onto the Temple Mount, Jews should go onto the Temple Mount, because what the problem is today that the Muslims like, think that we gave up, and now that they see that we're coming back, they put out a booklet, okay? I walk around the this, you know, like a soldier, always have to know the enemy. It says, El-Aqsa Mosque, clarification for misconceptions. El-Aqsa, not the temple. El-Aqsa, not the noble sanctuary. El-Burak, not the wailing wool, etc., etc. Dome of the Rock, not the Holy of Holies. But if you read what it says here, it's unbelievable. What does it say? Listen to this sentence. Uh, here. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Jesus. None of them considered Al-Aqsa Mosque as a temple. Zionists and Crusaders, after capturing the Holy Land from the Muslims, have been seeking to des- destroy this very place of worship in order to build, instead of it, a legendary structure they attribute to Solomon. But Solomon was just another prophet of Islam. He could not have had the authority to build a structure for, any- for worship against Allah. Okay, this is what they're giving out to tourists. You should know clarification for misconceptions. Okay, don't call it the Temple Mount. It's only Al-Aqsa. And so, I understand when I saw this book, and they printed it, a million copies. When I saw them giving it out, I said, it's impossible. We can't allow this to happen. And so, together with some variety of friends, some ultra-Orthodox, some non-religious, some secular, so we're together. Our goal, and that's what we, we raised in the past year, uh, $100,000, and we're bringing groups to Temple Mount, we're going and teaching about it, and we're teaching more. 
and now we're getting ready for 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 our second year of this uh, of this activity. I, I've actually been involved in this activity. Actually, I after I said I was in the Ministry of Absorption in 2002. Was the uh, in 2005? Excuse me. Was the disengagement uh, Ariel Sharon's uh, uh, project? And I was then in the Ministry of Absorption. I was a very high-ranked civil worker, and I get up and I said, "I'm not going to continue working in this government. Who is going to endanger the state of Israel? Because you're going to leave Aza. There are going to be missiles to the center of Israel." And they said to me, "My my boss was at the time Tippi Livni. She's today the minister." Of you're the devil's advocate. What are you talking about? There's going to be peace here. I said, listen, I'm not being part of it. And I got up and I resigned. And there were big stories about me in all the papers in Israel. The highest ranked civil servant resigned from the, from, from, from the Ministry of Absorption. At the time, the Temple Institute were looking for a director. And I got a phone call from them. I said, listen, we, hear, we read that, you're, that, you, that you resigned. Come be our director. So I joined. God opens, you know, he, closes, he doesn't close the gate before he opens the next one. And uh, we, I was very privileged of being the director of the Temple Institute for five years. And uh, in 2009, I said to myself, I said to my boss, Rabbi Ariel, I said, listen, I know I'm, I'm the director here. I'm, I'm in charge here of all the uh, uh, technical things and administration, money. I, I want to go out and I want to teach the people. So I took a course, a tour, a, you know, a tour guide course. I became an official licensed tour guide. And I started bringing groups. I started becoming a, a guiding group to the Temple Mount. And then I established the, uh, the Temple Mount Heritage Foundation, which was more teaching, educating. And, 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 and then I established a year ago, a, 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 not even a year ago, September, together with this group of people, what we call the Initiative for Jewish Freedom on the Temple Mount, which we try to promote speaking about human rights. I say, how can it be? Where in the world can it be that a person can't pray? You know, the Temple Mount is taken over by one religion, inciting uh, hate and terror. And they say, no, Jews cannot pray on the Temple Mount. If a Jew's going to pray, it's going insti- to incite, it's going to aggravate the Muslims. You're going to blow up the world of the Middle East. <clears throat> I say, listen, I'm here to teach respect teach tolerance, to teach coexistence. In which world is coexistence, tolerance, and respect to the other terms, terminology that, that promotes incitement, that promotes hate, that promotes war? In my eyes, these are termino- this is terminology that promotes peace. Genuine peace can only begin on the Temple Mount where millions of people in the world believe it's the holiest place in the world, and they'll learn to respect each other. They'll learn, they'll learn that one can live together with the other. And as long as the Muslims here are not going to understand these basic, the basic values of, of respecting one another, of tolerance, of coexistence, of sharing, there's no chance in the world that we're going to get to any peace because the very basic of peace is learning to respect the other. Last question, my friend. On Monday, we were there. You were there with these young folks. On Tuesday, you were in the Knesset. On Tuesday morning, there was conflict on the Temple Mount. And they say in the article that it had to do with Jews coming. What was the situation on Tuesday? Tuesday morning, <clears throat> unfortunately, the Muslims, whenever they, whenever they don't want Jews to come onto the Temple Mount, they, they start throwing stones, and immediately the police close the gates of the tents of Jews. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's really 
it's absurd. You would expect that if somebody's violent, they would close the gates of the violence, not for, the, not, for, not for those who are suffering from the violence. Here in Israel, we're like sort of, we develop some kind of scare from, you know, who knows what's going to happen? No, no, if, if, if we're going to aggravate them, we don't want to touch you. Know, it's like you go into a, a garage for cars and you buy a car and you say, how are the wheels? Wheels are great, perfect. How are the brakes? Perfect. How are the seats? Everything perfect, great. You sign the contract, you buy the car, and as you're walking out, the guy says to you, listen, there's one little problem, you know, you can do, use the car, do whatever you want, but don't touch the steering wheel. It's going to aggravate uh, Mr. Muhammad. What? You know, this is the heart of the whole thing. We, we, Zionism, what's Zion? Zion is the Temple Mount. Well, Zion is Jerusalem. This is what Zionism is all about. So what do you mean you can't go there? So on Tuesday morning, because the Knesset was going to do this session, they decided they're going to demonstrate, and the 30 guys were throwing stones. Oh, they closed the doors. Now, you have to understand, on a daily basis, the Temple Mount has 11 gates. Ten of them are open uh, 16 hours a day for Muslims. One of them is open three hours a day for Jews, Sunday through Thursday. Friday, Saturday, it's closed. Friday, it's closed because it's a holy day for Muslims. Saturday, it's closed because it's a holy day for Jews. Everything here is pretty absurd, and we say no. When more and more Jews come, they'll have to get used to the fact that Jews are part of the natural scene on the Temple Mount. Well, there you have it. I mean, there you have it. Right here at BFA International. Here I've got my Jewish friend who's, and I call him a friend now because there were some things that happened after our meeting. After he did that little interview, we we started walking together, talking together. He ended up getting on video for the project that I'm working on. And something happened that was so amazing that even caught his attention. We were walking down toward the great golden menorah that was been built by a, a, a man. And, and as we were walking down toward that menorah, the man who designed the golden menorah shows up. And my friend Yehuda says, I can't believe, who are you? that you, I've been, to, and here's the guy that's actually designed it. And so we go up to him, we talk to him. Maybe I'll do something about that later. In fact, maybe we should do an audio blog on just what the Temple Institute has done. Uh, Yehuda actually used to be the director of the Temple um, Institute and is now doing, as he mentioned earlier in uh, his, his segment, uh, what he's doing now, which is just, I think, is an amazing mission of bringing people up to the Temple Mount for freedom. Now, let me let me let me try to try to wrap this up and give some perspective. I believe that God is doing something in our generation that's special. I believe he's calling people from north, south, east and west back to his holy hill. Now, I'm doing this project, you all, that is going to be amazing about this. I think at this point, for lack of a better term, I'm saying this. Uh, maybe the title of it will be something like, a, this is still <laughs> our father's house. And why would I say that? Because when I think about the words of the one we call Jesus, Yeshua, there was something that happened with him. Zeal got a hold of him and he went into the temple about 2000 years ago and literally uh, wrecked the house. I mean, he broke the rules. He messed up the religious police. He crossed the spiritual borders and he turned over some tables that caused a huge response. Now, here's what he said that I think is amazing. And this is one of those uh, verses that ends up showing up in, I think, three or four of the Gospels. Matthew 21, 13. After he turned everything over and, and, and upset the uh, the religious situation and the economic uh, nonsense that was taking place, he said to them, it is this, it is written, Matthew 21, 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you 
are making it a robber's den. Mark eleven seventeen. And he began to teach and say to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then Mark does something really wonderful. Mark adds four English words. If I go to Luke 1946, it says saying to them, it is written and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. In Matthew and in Luke, they choose not to add these four words. Now, when I look in the Hebrew gospel of Matthew, and I don't have it here with me, I wouldn't be surprised if, if these words are added. Maybe you can check it, those of you that are listening yourself. But let me tell you what Mark eleven seventeen does. He says it shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Those are the four words for all the nations. And where did Yeshua get this idea? Where 2000 years ago did he get the idea that his father's house should be called a house of prayer for all nations? Isaiah 56, 7. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will should be acceptable on my altar. And then he says this in Isaiah 56, 7. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. You can check the different translations. It is an amazing verse because I believe you all honestly that in our time something is happening that really is remarkable. People from around the world are being called back to Zion. People from around the world are now saying, we're going to figure out how we can do that, which is pleasing to our God. There is no temple. I'm not dealing with the issue of, of, of uh, sacrifices and all that. I'm talking about the place where our father placed his name forever. Forever is forever. And I believe according to scripture and in practicality, his name is still there. Now you got to be saying, well, hold on, Keith. What are you saying? The Muslims are in charge. No, they're not. The earth is the Lord's, Yehovah's, and all that it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. So here's the question. The question was, who may ascend? I met with my friend Yehuda. I've been up on the Temple Mount. I'm doing research right now that has me captivated. I am under arrest. I am doing things and doors are opening and situations are coming forward that have me absolutely excited about this generation that we are living in. God is doing something that's going to catch the attention of the nations. So let's answer the question. Who may ascend? I can't answer it based on my practicality. I can't answer it based on my tradition. I don't want to answer it based on what I think. Can I just go to the book of Psalm verse 20, chapter 24? Here's what it says in Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is Yehovah's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend unto the hill of Yehovah? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from Yehovah and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob. Let us continue to seek his face. Let us continue to be in his presence. Let us continue to come to Mount Zion. Let us be like my friend Yehuda, who grabs more Jews in the last few years that have now finally broken through the spiritual borders and broken through the religious police laws and have said, we believe we're called to the Temple Mount. Not only that physical place, but the spiritual place. But do not deny the physical place where he's placed his name forever. I cannot wait 
if he opens the door to bring what I have discovered in the last couple weeks to you, to those around the world regarding the significance of that place in our generation. In the meantime, would you do me a favor? Would you keep seeking? Would you keep searching? Would you keep reading? Would you keep listening? And if you do that, we will keep working.